I want to encourage you to, um, as we go through here, to look at your individual selves uh, and as we talk about how we utilize our spiritual gifts, first of all, understanding what our spiritual gifts is, and then understanding how we utilize those spiritual gifts is going to be critically important to our, uh, our, our growth as a church and the ability to encourage one another. Uh, so before we jump into uh, uh, our, our handout, I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. And this chapter is often referred to as the love chapter, right? Uh, and a lot of times you hear this uh, read at weddings, right? Because I think this, this embodies what true love is really all about. How many of you know that there have been a lot of people who've, who've uh, came before the altar and said wedding vows but didn't truly understand what love is? Would you agree? And maybe some of y'all have been in relationships that, that maybe you're not in now, and maybe you were married and, you know, divorced because somebody forgot what true love really is. Uh, and so when we look at this chapter, uh, you know, when we think of it in those terms, uh, it, it, it's really important for us, I think, to, to hone in on what love is and how love affects how we utilize our giftings, okay? Uh, but, you know, again, we use this at weddings, but Paul, if you notice the context here, Paul is not talking about love in marriage. Uh, Kiara, Trey, we're going to marry you guys on Saturday, and, uh, uh, and uh, you know, love is a good thing, but that's not really what the type of love he's talking about here. Uh, look, look at the text here. In, in 1 Corinthians 13 chapter, Paul talks about love as the way we are to serve one another. If I'm serving you, Tiffany, but I'm not doing it out of love, I'm out of the will of God. If I'm pastoring this church but mad at all y'all and really don't want to see you coming and, and hate you even ask me to do anything for you and, and I do it grudgingly and not out of love, then I don't, really I'm not doing anything even though I may have completed the task or the assignment that, that, that was given to me, but if I don't do it out of love, Cassandra, it doesn't count for anything. Look at 1 Corinthians 13 chapter, uh, and, and we, we're going to walk down through it. As significant as your spiritual gifts are, listen carefully, love is of much greater importance to God. You got me? Love is of much greater importance to God than you and I exercising our gifting. Because if we don't do it, and if it's not motivated by love, then it's not any good. Look at what he says here, 1 Corinthians 13 chapter, starting at verse number 1. Amen. 1 Corinthians 13, verse number 1. He says this, If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Verse 2, if I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be what? Nothing, nothing. Look at verse number three. Let's read. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained what? 
nothing. Watch this. Verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud. Anytime when you talk about giftings and you find people boasting and being prideful and and, and braggadocious about what they can do and how they can preach and how they can whatever sing and how they help this person, that person, then that, that person's actions are not being motivated by this agape love. Agape love is patient and kind. Now, when I use the term agape, what does that mean? God love, God, the God kind of love. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud. Verse 5 says, or rude. Hmm. All right, so if you are rude, you're not operating in agape love. And how many of you know sometimes Christians can be rude? Hmm? Sometimes rude in the church. And sure enough, rude outside of the church. All right? But love, it, 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 it's, it's, it's not rude. It's it does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. Stop. Back up. Love does not demand its own way. Now, how many of y'all sitting right now looking at me with your with your with your with your spiritual cap on will, will, will honestly admit that there are some times when you demand having your way? Okay, come on, y'all. I need y'all to, to, to confess. Uh, publicly <laughs> I mean all of us at some times if we're not careful when we're in whatever kind of relationship it is was a work worker co- co-worker co-worker worker relationship uh, uh, church member the church member relationship family member the family relationship there are times when we get into our own selfish self and we demand our own way But what Paul says here is love does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. And look at this next part. And it keeps no record of being wrong. Love, 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 love. Okay. Next verse. Let's read. It says what? It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Verse 7 says this. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Watch this. Verse 8. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Next verse. Read. Now, our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. Verse 10 says, but when full understanding comes, these partial things will become useless. Read. When I was a child, I spake and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away what? Childish things. Verse 12, let's read. It says, now we see things imperfectly as in a cloudy mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. How many of y'all will agree with that? I don't care how spiritual you are. I don't care how, how long you've been saved. I don't care how much you speak in other tongues. There's some stuff you just don't know. Some stuff you don't see. And I believe God would have it that way because 
Can you imagine if we could see everything, see down the road 10 years, see down the road 15 years, could have saw that had we went through that thing that we went through, we would have vetoed it, right? How many of y'all would have vetoed some stuff in your life and you could have looked down the line and saw, well, you know, in five years, I'll go meet up with that person and the relationship is going to get a little rocky and shaky and then it's going to cause a lot of heartache and pain. I'm not going to even meet that person. But you don't realize that God in your life had you meet that person and work some stuff out of you and the stuff wouldn't have came out of you had not you met the person or went through that situation. So, because some stuff we, we hold on to and we won't really see ourselves the way God sees us. And so as a result, we, we, we would act, if we actually could see everything in every situation ahead of time, there's a lot of decisions that we would make that we probably wouldn't make, right? And God, sometimes God uses those things to help work some stuff out of us, Brenda. He works some stuff out of us. So when we look at this thing, watch what he says. Here. Now we see things imperfectly as in a cloudy mirror, but then... We will see everything with perfect clarity. When, when, whenever we see Jesus face to face, we're going to have clear vision about what, it, where, what everything is and how everything is going. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely just as God now knows me completely. All right. Last verse says what? Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is what? It's love. So now, uh, it's important to note that, uh, you know, when it comes to using spiritual gifts, uh, spiritual gifts, just make a note of this. Spiritual gifts expressed without love, number one, do not reflect who God is. Spiritual gifts expressed without love do not reflect who God is. Repeat that with me. Say spiritual gifts. Express without love, do not reflect who God is. This is page 101 if you all have your book with you, okay? And, and the second thing you want to know, spiritual gifts expressed without love do not have a kingdom impact. Spiritual gifts expressed without love do not have a kingdom impact. It's page 101 in your book. Do not have a kingdom impact. And that's ultimately what we want to have. We want to have kingdom impact. The kind of love we are to express is agape love. It is the selfless kind of love that seeks the best interests of others. So what I, whatever I'm doing, however I'm operating in my gifting, I've got to do it with agape love. That means that I'm seeking the best interests of others and not just to build myself up. Our spiritual gifts, remember we said when we start this this, this rediscovery of, of, of spiritual gift. And we said two things. We said spiritual gifts are to do what? Glorify who? And secondly, do what? So whatever we do with these giftings, we should find ourselves glorifying God and edifying or building up others. Is that correct? All right. So that's critically important that we realize that because I, I, I can't tell you the number of times that people get so enamored and they get off into you know, you know, people not letting me use my gift, and 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 it's it's, it's about me, and I'm I'm not fulfilled because my gifting ain't being utilized. Let me tell you something: a man's gift will make room for him. The Bible says, and if you will, if you will position yourself where God wants you to be, uh, be faithful and committed, your gifting will expose itself, and your gift will make room for you. 
You don't have to knock the door down to start using your gift. I promise you, you won't. Amen. God will utilize you when you are settled and in the right place. Okay. So look at your outline. We're going to go back. On last week, we covered uh, the gift of administration. So we had these typed out for you. And so let's go to the second one in our listing because I think it's important for us to have understanding about these different gifts. And, and, and it's also important for us not to be afraid of utilizing these spiritual gifts. Guys on the clock, I don't know, y'all keep giving me more time. I, don't, I think we started at 45 and now we're back up to 57, so I don't know what's happening there. Okay, so you may want to check that, okay? Uh, I don't plan on going that long, all right? God bless you. All right, so let's look at apostleship, all right? So the literal meaning of apostleship is to be sent with a message. Everybody said to be sent with a message. The gift of apostleship is the divine ability to start and oversee the, the development of new churches or ministry structures. Okay, Someone who operates with the gift of apostleship uh, has a divine ability to start and oversee the development of new churches or ministry structures. Now, what are the distinctives of that? of that gift. And first thing is they pioneer and establish new ministries of churches. If you say, if you call yourself an apostle, but you aren't starting any new ministries or churches or ministry structures, you're not really operating in apostolic authority. Are you following me? Be, be, be watchful and be careful of people who run after titles. Okay. Nowadays, everybody called themselves an apostle and had started one church. Uh, but but people who have apostolic authority, uh, this gifting, they pioneer and establish new ministry churches. They adapt to different surroundings by being culturally sensitive and aware. And they desire to minister to unreached people in other communities or other countries. They, they really have a passion for reaching the unchurched, those who have not affiliated with uh any type of ministry. They have responsibility to oversee ministries or groups of churches and they demonstrate authority and vision for the mission of the church. Those are the distinctive characteristics of people who operate with, 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 with the ministry gift of apostleship. What are their traits? They're adventurous, they're entrepreneurial, they're persevering. Because you got to be persevering when you start a ministry. There are many people who start churches and, and a lot of times those churches end up kind of just willing out because it's tough to start a ministry from scratch. But it's not impossible. Because I believe if you're doing it God's way and if, and if God leads you to do a thing, then, 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 then I believe that that ministry will grow, that ministry will impact people's lives. And guys, let's not ever make the mistake of believing that uh, larger means better and that if a church is smaller, then it's not doing anything, all right? Uh, there are many different sized churches and the average church in America actually has average attendance and membership of less than 100 people. OK, so uh, if you will look at the body of believers here at Elizabeth Baptist Church, we're somewhere north of 400 to 20, probably about 425 members or so, maybe around 450 a membership. So as far as average numbers, we are greater than, than the average church, but that don't mean anything. Are you following me? If we had 5,000 people here and we were not advancing kingdom principle, what good would it do? So don't get so enamored with big and think bigger is better. Because there are a lot of people who are a part of mega ministries and mega mean 
churches that would average attendance of $2,500 people over the weekend. That's called a mega church, and that's cool. I ain't hating on it, I ain't mad at it, but what I'm saying is make sure that you and I and whoever's in ministry, wherever you are, don't look at the success of the ministry based on the attendance there at the church. Because you can have a church full of babies who, 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 who come in and go out, and there's no discipling, there's no development. Just make sure that wherever you are, you're doing it to the best of your ability. So people who have the trait of apostleship, they are adventurous, they entrepreneurial, they're, they're persevering, they're adaptable, they're culturally sensitive, they're risk-taking, and they're cause-driven. Some of the cautions, they should be aware that misusing their authority can quench the spirit in others, and they need to be affirmed and sent by the church. Listen to that. The gift of apostleship needs to be affirmed and sent by the local church. Not this, just you woke up one morning and said, I'm going to be an apostle. <laughs> if nobody's affirming you, if nobody is sending you, you are out of order. Okay? Are y'all with me today? All right? Because I'm telling you, there's a lot of weird folks out there who do some weird stuff in the name of Jesus. You make sure that you are attached to a local church and what you're doing is ordained by your local church ministry. Are you following me here? Okay? Uh, need to be affirmed and sent by the church and can be demanding and pessimistic. So you got to be cautious because a lot of times people with this gifting can be demanding and pessimistic. All right? Go with me, if you will, to Acts the 13th chapter. Let's look at something right quick. Acts chapter 13, start at verse number one. Everybody clear on apostleship? Glory to God. Acts 13, verse number one. The text says this. Among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simeon, called the black man. Uh, KJV says Niger, okay? Uh, so Simeon, we know he was black, right? The Bible says it right now, the black man, okay? So the black man was in the Bible. All right, Lucius from Cyrene, Cyrenian, okay? Manian, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas, and Saul. Now watch this. One day, as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, it's amazing what can happen when we learn how to worship God and when we learn to fast. Uh, at the service that we went to this past Sunday, Maria and I, the guy said something, and I thought it was, it was very transparent. And, and to me, he was very self-aware of himself as a pastor. He says, he got up during the, after the some of the praise and worship was going going on. He says, he says, uh, he says, I'm I, I'm afraid that I hadn't led you well when it comes to worship. That's what he said. And he said, he says, he says, one of the things that we got to realize is, you know, sometimes we can get so educated that we forget how to serve God and go back to the days when we really knew how to cry out to God to really magnify God. Because even sometimes here on Sundays, when the words are on the screen, song praise is singing, you sit there and you won't sing. And he says something that's really stuck with me. He says, you know, you can't really worship God, first of all, if you're in sin, all right? And you can't worship God if you don't spend time with God through the week, all right? So, so, so that kind of struck me because a lot of times we'll come in here and not really uh, get, get plugged into the praise and worship. And there's a reason why, because if you don't spend time with God during the week, Prayer time, study time, meditation time, 
coming here on Sunday ain't going to change your mindset. And that's why you'll sit there and everybody else will sing, come on, and you won't open your mouth. Yes, you. All right? And God has been good to you, woke you up this morning, start you on your way. You, you, even though you had arthritis, you got here. And praises and worship will be going up to God, but you'll sit there. Well, brother pastor, I can't sing, so I don't want nobody. No, he says make a jaw for what? Noise. So make your noise. Unto whom? Unto the Lord. So, so, so some of us aren't worshiping God and because worship really is a lifestyle. It's more than just singing, but, it's, but, but it goes beyond the singing because worship starts, amen, on Monday morning. Worship starts throughout the week. And maybe you can't really get into the praise and worship here because you aren't spending any time with him throughout the week. If God has done anything for you, Cassandra, you ought to say something, right? The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord do what? Say so. He says, when you don't spend any time with him during the week, come on, and you can't truly worship God when you got constant practicing sin in your life. Hello? All right, so, so, but when you learn how to worship and when you learn how to, to sacrifice your body through the avenue of fasting, look at the, what the Bible says. One day as these men were what? Worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Ghost said, the Holy Spirit said, dedicate Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have what? Which I've called them. Look at verse number three. It says what? So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them what? They did what? They sent them on their way. And we know that, 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 that this is them being sent out on an apostolic journey, on a missionary journey. Are you on track with me today? So, the, so those who are who, who have the ministry get the apostleship go about establishing churches and ministry structure. All right? Y'all got that? So these guys were sent out uh, at this point in time to go and do that. But I, I, I don't want you to miss this. While they were worshiping and fasting. So after more fasting and praying, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. So if... If you're going to go and establish a ministry or do a certain things, get the affirmation of your local congregation before you step out and do something on your own. Hello? Because your local church needs to affirm you. I mean, if you do it the right way. Can I get a witness? All right, so let's go to the next one right quick. Uh, let's go to craftsmanship. One that you may not have thought of as a spiritual gift, but as we discovered when we went through this study is you can see where God does endow and especially gift people to do certain creative type things to help ministry. So we're going to look at craftsmanship. The little meaning is to craft, to design, or to build. The gift of craftsmanship is a divine enablement to creatively design 
and, and or construct items to be used for ministry, to creatively design and or to construct items that are to be used for ministry. Now, how many of you know that, that there, you know, ministry, when we come together corporately and begin to worship and to share and to minister to people, that there needs to be a support team coming along with us, right? And so when we look at this craftsmanship here, it says, what are the distinctions of a person who has this, this gift? And they work with wood, cloth, paints, metal, glass, and other raw materials. They make things that increase the effectiveness of others' ministries. They enjoy serving with their hands to meet tangible needs and they design and build tangible items and resources for ministry use. They work with different kinds of tools and a skill with their hands. What are their traits? They're creative. They're, they're, they're designers. They're, they're handy. They're resourceful. They're practical behind the scenes. They're helpful. How many of y'all right now can say that ain't my gift? <laughs> How many of y'all ain't did nothing with your hands? All right. All right. But, but people who have this gifting... Do so. They, they're able to craft, they're able to build things. Go with me right quick to the book of Exodus, the 35th chapter. Exodus chapter 35, and we'll, we'll begin our reading at verse number 31. Exodus 35, verse number 31. Craftsmanship. The ability to create, construct, to build things, to help, help others in ministry. That's critically important. The text says this. The Lord has filled Bezaliel uh, with the Spirit of God. He's filled him with the Spirit of God, giving him what? Great wisdom, ability, and expertise in all kinds of crafts. Now, who gave Bezaliel great wisdom, ability, and expertise in all kinds of crafts? The Spirit of God did. The Lord has filled Bezalel with the Spirit of God, giving him great wisdom, ability, expertise in all kinds of craft. Look at the next verse. It says what? He is a what? Master craftsman, expert in working with gold, silver, and bronze. 33, he is skilled in engraving and mounting gemstones and in carving wood. He is a master at every craft. 34, 35, let's read. And the Lord has given both him and, y'all say it. I want y'all to say it. Okay, I, I just want to mess with you a little bit. A holy app, son of what? A hisamash. You got to say it real fast. Say, a hisamash. All right. Of the tribe of Dan, the ability, what? To teach their skills to others. The Lord has given both him and a a holy, a holy ab, son of Ahishamash, of the tribe of Dan, the ability to teach their skills to others. Verse 35 says what? The Lord has given them special skills. Who's giving it to them? If the Lord gives it to you by his Holy Spirit, then it's a spiritual gift. It's a gift given by what? The Spirit. The Lord has given them special skills as engravers, designers, embroiderers, in blue, purple, and scarlet, thread on fine linen cloth, and weavers. They excel as craftsmen and as designers. You never knew that was a spiritual gift, did you? All right? So there are people who have this gifting in the body who we need to pull on to help us demonstrate the gospel message, to help us do the work of ministry. 
Are you with me today? Even someone who had the skill to build this stage out is a blessing to the body of Christ. We're getting ready to do vacation Bible school. And we have a group that, that you know, some, some, some people who, who I believe have this, this craftsmanship gift who can come up with some ideas about how to put stuff together with stuff that don't even make sense. Get a, a bucket and a piece of string and a pipe. And they figure out what to do with a bucket, a piece of string and a pipe. It makes something look good. I don't know how, when, when they first thought, I'm like, what in the world are they doing? And they sit up here all, all day Sunday evening working and putting the thing together. And voila, when they come out, the set is ready. It sets the tone and the atmosphere for the VBS experience. And we need those people with the ministry to get the craftsmanship to help us do that. Now, if you don't have that gift, you can't work with them. Because you're going to get frustrated. Because the first thing that people who have that gift will do, they'll try to get something by, well, just okay is just okay. And in, and in doing ministry, just okay is not okay. Are y'all listening to me today? Just okay is not okay in ministry. And for so long, guys, we've been getting about, and a lot of, if we're honest about it, there are many times we were just, okay, that, that's, that's good enough. No, it's not. If you're going to do anything for the Lord, you need to give him your very best. And people who have this gift and don't let you get away with just, you know, halfway doing something. Because it's a gift, okay? What are, the, what are their cautions, okay? The cautions, they, they could fail to see that their gift is significant and one that makes a spiritual contribution to the body of Christ, Okay? And they could use people to get things done instead of helping them grow in the process. See, when you're doing stuff, when you're helping, when you operate in this, you, you also want to uh, help people to grow and not just use them to get your work, get, get your set done. Okay. And they should remember that the things that they produce are just a means to the end and not the end itself. Okay. Those are the things they got to be cautious of. Okay. So craftsmanship is one of the spiritual gifts. I'll go, go to the next one right quick, y'all. Let's roll here. Are y'all still with me? Now, you have these, and I want you to keep these with you because as you, those of y'all who are going through this for the first time, as you identify your spiritual giftings, uh, and, and, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the end, about how you identify those top three and make sure that you're on point with this. So we'll talk about that at the end here. All right, so let's talk about creative communication. Here's another one that we don't really commonly think of as a spiritual gift, but the literal meaning is to communicate artistically, okay, artistically. The gift of creative communication is the divine. Everybody say divine. Say it comes from the Holy Ghost. It comes from the Holy Spirit. Come on now. It comes from God's spirit, right? The gift of creative communication is the divine enablement to communicate God's truth through a variety of art forms. Okay. What are, what are the distinctions of those people who have this gift? And what they use the arts to communicate God's truth. They develop and use artistic skills such as drama writing, art, music, and et cetera, okay? They use variety and creativity to captivate people and cause them to consider Christ's message. Do y'all, know, do y'all not realize that Jesus was a fabulous storyteller? When I say storyteller, I mean he, he, he spoke in parables, all right? And parables were stories because whenever Jesus was ministering and sharing to capture the attention of the person, he would tell a story. He would, he would share something that they were familiar with to open the eyes of their understanding, Bobby, to something that they were not familiar with. And that's what people who have 
creative communication skills do. They'll utilize their artistic ability uh, to, to, to drive home a, a, a message that Christ wants to be driven home in the body. And so what the other, they use a variety of creativity to captivate people. So Jesus would use stories to captivate people's attention. Okay, uh, We call those parables. Challenge people's perspective of God through various forms of the arts, and they demonstrate fresh ways to express the Lord's ministry and message. Now, this is real important as we deal with a variety of different type of people, especially with our younger people. You need people who have this creative gift to, to reach the young, uh, but also those who, are, you know, uh, who, who aren't accustomed to just sitting there and listening to a lecture for 35 or 40 minutes. We have to have creativity to paint the picture. Are y'all with me today? So what are the traits? These people tend to be very expressive. They're imaginative. They're idea-oriented. They're artistic. They're creative. They're unconventional. And they're sensitive. They can be a little sensitive. Yeah, come on. They can be a little sensitive. Come on. Will y'all, will y'all agree with me? Y'all, do y'all know anybody who has the creative communication gift? Artistic ability, they, they're real sensitive. See, musicians can be that way. If y'all been around musicians and been around choirs, you better have somebody leading that choir song praise minister who's strong, a strong Christian and who understands it's more than just about you singing your song. Because what happens with people who have this gift, if they don't get a chance to sing their song, they're so sensitive they get mad and want to lead a choir because they didn't sing their song. And you don't have a song because you didn't even write it. It's not yours. I thank God that what we've done here over the years is have more than just one person leading the song so you can't say that's my song. And if, if, if I don't lead it, I'm mad. Can't do that. Are y'all with me? But, but people who are artistic tend to be a little sensitive sometimes. All right? In case you haven't dealt with those kind of folks. It's a gift, but they, they can be a little sensitive, all right? So what are the causes? You need to remember that art is not for art's sake. In other words, you're, you're doing what you're doing is not just for the sake of uh, putting on a show, okay? It's to glorify God and do what? Whatever you do should be glorifying God and edifying others. So if you start doing something and it becomes about how you feel and not about glorifying God and edifying others, then you are off track. Are y'all with me today? Okay, watch this. You need to remember that art is not for art's sake, but it's to glorify God and edify others. They could find evaluation. Look at this one real good. They could find evaluation and constructive criticism difficult to accept. You played the wrong note. Well, or you did it, but, but again, this, this wasn't quite what we, what we were looking for. Well, this is what I saw in my head. It's not what we were looking for, okay? All right? Could find evaluation and constructive criticism difficult to accept. And they might be uncooperative because of, look at this, ego, pride, or individualism, and need to work at being a team player. Now, I don't, some of y'all hadn't been around choir. I grew up around choirs. I, I really did. I used to sing in choirs. I mean, I was a background singer. <laughs> Doris, I was a background singer. And I, I, I would sing my part. And I led a song every now and then, but you know, that, that, that's when you, you know, when you were younger, they let you lead a song, and people say, bless his heart, bless his heart. <laughs> he trying his best. <laughs> but guys, 
You know, when, when, we, when we're here on Sunday mornings and when we, uh, when we are, uh, uh, are giving God glory, should not we play skillfully, as the Bible says? I mean, if you're going to do it, practice. And if you're going to do it, do it as unto the Lord. You, don't just give him something. Cause have, you know, how many of y'all have been to a, a, a program where clearly the choir didn't spend much time practicing? And you, it, okay, y'all, y'all want to look at me like that? Because here's, here's what you've been taught. Well, you know, it's, it, it ain't how you sound. It's just, you know, just, just, just saying, get a your heart while you're singing. Yeah, but... You, if you're going to do it, do it with a spirit of excellence. Don't just throw anything up to God. So I start off by saying, when you have this gifting, you, you, you better have a strong leader. Because people who have these artistic abilities can get into a little ego and individualism, all right, and pride. And so you got to have somebody who's strong. Just because you can play a piano don't mean you can be a minister of music. All right? Because playing is one aspect of dealing with all those personalities. So you better have somebody who's strong and who knows what it's all about and knows how to keep that ministry on focus. Are y'all with me today? Okay? Go with me to Psalms uh, 150 right quick. And we... We used to quote this all the time. I love this psalm. And this, this psalm talks about Psalm 150. Hallelujah. So, creative communication. Psalms 150, verse 1 says, Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heaven. Next verse. Praise him for his mighty works. Praise him. Praise his unequal greatness. Look at this. Praise him with a blast of the ram's horn. We don't have a ram's horn here, but we've got some other stuff. <laughs> Praise him with the lyre and the harp. Praise him with the tambourine and dance. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. How many of y'all, when you heard a tambourine beating and when you saw people dancing, you felt a little funny about it? I mean, maybe, maybe. You know, initially, when you, you know, based on how you grew up, when you first went to a church and you saw somebody dancing, you felt a little funny about it. You thought, they need to sit down. What are they doing? That's unholy to dance in the sanctuary of the Lord. What does this say? Praise him with what? The tambourine. And what? And dancing. Is that what it says? Praise him with what? Strings and flutes. Praise him with what? A clash of cymbals. Praise him with loud clanging cymbals. All right? Let everything that breathes do what? 
sing praises to the Lord. So when you come in here and you are breathing, there should be no excuse for you not singing along in praise. Because it says, let everything that breathes sing praises to the Lord. Praise the Lord. And now that you have screens that we put the words up there so you don't have to be off, there is no excuse. The words are there. You can't say, I, I, I didn't know the song. And we try to sing enough songs in a, in a rotational pattern where you can kind of catch on, catch hold to the, the, the pattern and, and the rhythm of it so you can get into it. Now, the first time we sing a song, you may be a little bit, yeah. But after the 15th time, you ought to be, you ought to be rocking back there. Am I right? What does this say? Let, are you breathing? Talk to me. Are you breathing? Let everything that breathes sing praises to the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, if we were to look at other Psalms and just look, look at, look at how God's people would, would magnify his name. You know, we, we are, I would say we got to get better at this. Okay. When we come in here on Sunday, it, it ought to be like a, a Holy Ghost party up in here. Because when you think about the goodness of God and all that he's done for you, how he woke you up this morning, started you on your way, how he gave you a, a, a brand new lease on life, healed your broken body, put food on your table, clothes on your back, a roof over your head. Come on, things are as well with you as they are right now. You ought to be saying, thank you, Jesus. And every time a worship song comes, you ought to be right in there with them. Make that joyful noise. And if someone turn around and look at you say, I'm making my joyful noise. Okay? All right. So, so, so we, we, we need to do that, okay? 2 Samuel 6, chapter, verse 14 and 15. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 14 and 15. Look at David. David, man, he was the worshiper. He was a praiser. He would magnify God. Watch it. What about you and I? When we come in here Sunday, this place ought to be lit. As the, as the, as the, am, am I right? Is, is, that, is, that, is that a, Trey, are you, are you still young enough to know what, what's, what, yeah, I think the young folks saying it, it, it was lit up in there. That means it was, it, it was, it was on. So Sunday, since y'all know what the word says, it should be lit up in here. And not because Rod turned them lights on. <laughs> All right. Gotcha. Watch this. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment. Who did this? David. Next verse. So David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and the blowing of ram's horns. But as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked down from her window when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. She was filled with contempt for him. See, sometimes when you're getting your praise on, people have, look at you with contempt and indignation. And it started looking like something smell bad. You keep on dancing. You keep on praising because that's what the Bible says for us to do. Get out of your shell and let... Give God praise. He inhabits the praises of his people, guys. Are y'all with me? All right, so creative communication. 
It includes music, artistic ability, those type things that God gives us. I'm not just talking about natural ability, but it's a, it's a divine enablement. There are people who can play skillfully, but it's not God-given. There's no anointing on it. I'm talking about anointed playing, anointed singing, anointing worship. Okay? Look, let's go to the next one right quick. And we're probably going to... Guys, how much time do I have left? I see my time at 801. Tell me how much I got left. Okay, Y'all can change that for me. That'll happen. All right, next we're going to look at the spiritual gift of discernment, discernment, discernment. The literal meaning is to separate or make a distinction, to differentiate. The gift of discernment of spirits is a divine enablement. Every, every one of these gifts are divine enablement. The divine enablement to distinguish between truth and error. It is able to discern the spirit's differentiating between good and evil, right and wrong. So what are the distinctions of people who have this gifting? They have the ability to distinguish truth from error, right from wrong, pure motives from impure motives. These folks, uh, whenever uh, this this gift is operating, they can discern whether or not somebody's doing something for the right reason or for the wrong reason. Okay? They identify deception in others with accuracy and appropriateness. They recognize inconsistencies in a teaching, prophetic message, or interpretation. And they are able to sense the presence of evil. So so what are their traits? They're perceptive, they're insightful, they're sensitive, they're intuitive, they're decisive, they're challenging, they're truthful. So what what, what are the cautions that these people have to be be aware of? Number one, they, they may struggle with how to express their perceptions, their feelings, or their insights. And they could be harsh when confronting others instead of speaking the truth in love. We should always speak the truth, what? In love. They need to confirm their perceptions before speaking. All right? Now, let's, let's go, if you will, to Acts chapter number 5. This is a familiar passage. We'll go to Acts 5, verse number 1. Watch this. Acts 5, verse number 1. Glory to God. And this is after... Uh, this, this fifth chapter opens on the tail end of, um, I believe it was Barnabas, who was the son of Consolation and of the country of Cyprus, having land, he sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, again, we, we know from, from studying our Bible and doing a little biblical research, we know that the country of Cyprus, the soil and the land was very valuable because in an, in an agrarian economy, in an economy where you, where you grow crop and sell it for money, uh, having land that's very fertile is critically important. The more fertile the land, the more valuable it is. So uh, in Cyprus, the land was, was known historically for being very fertile ground. And so the text says he having, having land, he sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Okay. That's what he did in the, in the fourth chapter. When we roll to the fifth chapter, the text says, but there was a certain man named Ananias who, with his wife, Sapphira, sold some property. Now, again, you, you, you would probably think that when, he sold, when Barnabas sold that property, it was very valuable. Word probably got around. Okay? Word got around. And so here, here comes Ananias and Sapphira because when you, when you bless the body good, sometimes people, people, you know, they are thankful for it, but then 
uh, sometimes people want to get in on some glory for themselves. Anything you do for God, whether it's giving money, don't do it for self-glory. Do it out of obedience and appreciation for what God has done for you. All right. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. Y'all know the story. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. All right. Now, now, think about the comparison. Barnabas, the text said, having land, he sold it and brought the money. He didn't bring part of it. He brought all of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. So here come Ananias and Sapphira. We're going to top Barnabas. That's what I think they said in their mind. This is me using my spiritual imagination. The Bible don't say that, but something drove them to lie about it. And if the, if the previous verse says that Barnabas sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet, here come Ananias and Sapphira going to sell it and bring it and lay it at the apostles' feet. But they didn't bring all the money. Like He brought part of the money to the apostles, claimed it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Next verse says this. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. Now, think about this for a second. Peter, didn't, Peter wasn't there and, and didn't follow the transaction, but here we see a spirit of discernment, amen, operating in Peter. And there are times, man, when you meet some people who they, they can tell you stuff that, that you know that, that it had to be the Holy Ghost who told them because you ain't told nobody. Then Peter says, Ananias, why have you let, let Satan fill your heart and you lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself? Verse 4 and 5, the property, watch this. Don't ever forget this. The property was, was yours to sell or not to sell as you wish. You know, if you got some land, we, we, we're not here at the church telling you go sell that land and bring the money to the church. It's your property. You can sell it or you not sell it. It's your house. Sell it or keep it. Right? But if you sell it and the capital gain, y'all know what capital gain is? In other words, you bought it for $60,000 and you sold it for $160,000. What is your capital gain on that? $100,000. So you would not tie it off of $160,000, but you should tie it off of what? Y'all, like y'all, that was too much for y'all to swallow. <laughs> if, if, the, if the appreciation was such that you made $100,000, then that is a gain to you. And the Bible says, uh, you know, lay by in store as the Lord prospers you. So if the Lord prospers you to sell a house for $100,000 more than what you paid for it, then what should, what shouldest thou do with it? Huh? That should be a tick for $10,000 coming to Elizabeth Baptist Church. Okay. Did y'all catch that? All right. But it was yours to sell or not to sell. All right. Here, we're talking about some land it had, and uh, the property was yours to sell or not to sell as you wish. Look at what he says. After selling, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. Now watch this. Verse 5. Let's read. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor in, in what? 
Dude died, y'all. Judgment came right away. Everyone who heard about it was what? I imagine so. I imagine so. If y'all heard this conversation in the middle at the altar of Elizabeth Baptist Church, and for whatever reason, that person dropped dead right here at the altar. Okay? How many of y'all would, would start keep your checkbook out and saying, okay, you know what, Lord, I, I'm going to honor you the right way. Look at the next verse. Come on, let's go. Got to go. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, was this the price you and your husband received for your land? Yes, she replied. That was the price. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband, they were outside the door, and they're going to carry you out too. Everybody said, that's cold. Look at, look at this verse. Watch this. Instantly, she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside them. They were, they were gentle. They buried her beside her husband. But guys, this, this spirit of discernment, now this is, this is this is this is an extraordinary judgment that's going on here. It's, obviously, God's not operating exactly this way today because it, you know in, in 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 the majority of cases. But I'm not saying He can't do it. But what I'm saying is is that this was an extraordinary judgment that came to these folks. And I don't know why God did it the way He did. That's something we're asking when we get to heaven. But 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 again, as the church was starting. As the church began to prosper and to grow and, and to multiply, you, you can't afford to have these type sinful attitudes, uh, amen, permeating throughout that church as it's getting started. And so that's some things I believe that God, God allowed some things to, to, to come into play here because he was trying to, to protect what he was doing through his ministry, through the ministry of the church, okay? So discernment is very important. Go with me right quick, if you will, to uh, Matthew 16. And we're going we're gonna, to uh, stop after this because I think my time is about out. Glory to God. Y'all with me? We'll pick up with encouragement next week. Encour- the, the ministry gift of encouragement is one of my favorite ones. I mean, all of them are good, but, but I, I, sometimes we overlook this one. Encouragement, but that's, that's really important. People need to be encouraged. Y'all know that? And, and some of y'all have the ministry gift of encouragement. And start utilizing. Pick up the phone. And here's the other thing. You can, you can send a text. Texts text are good. But don't, don't ever get so in the habit of, of texting that you forget how to talk to people. And, and, and some of us have to be very careful because sometimes some of us, when we're writing stuff, we don't know how to convey what we really mean in, in the tone and tenor. So it's best for us to pick up the phone and call. Because sometimes your text can be misconstrued. Am I right about it? All right, if you don't put the right verbiage on there, and it, 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 it conveys something other than what you had originally wanted to convey. Matthew, uh, what do I tell you? Go Matthew what? 16, verse 21 and 23. Pop that up right quick. For then, from then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many temp- terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. 
He would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. 22. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Now watch the spirit of discernment coming from Jesus. He said, Jesus turned to Peter, but look who he spoke to. Sometimes you turn into people, but you're speaking to the wrong person. <laughs> Watch this. He says, Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Peter. No. He said, get away from me whom? Satan. Jesus immediately recognized through the spirit of discernment that Satan was speaking through Peter. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God. All right? So people who have the spirit of discernment are able to recognize and discern between right and wrong, pure motives and impure motives, whether or not it's a, it's a spiritual uh, 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 move or it's an evil move. And so discernment happens. Now, again, when you're utilized in the spiritual, with spiritual gifts of discernment, you have to be very careful because sometimes when God shows you something, you'll think he's showing you something all the time. And, and there, the, the, the gift of discernment operates as the Holy Spirit wills. Okay, so don't, don't conjure up a discernment because he used you three times last year to say something that nobody knew about. And when you said it, people confirmed that you were the only, that they didn't tell anybody and God has shown you. Because how many of y'all ever had somebody confirm something that you hadn't told anybody else about and they spoke a word not even knowing that, that it was the Spirit of God Leading, they just they spoke it, and it, it, it hit directly what the thing that you were dealing with. Has that ever happened to you? Somebody's told you something about yourself, even, or about a situation, and they were dead on. They were spot on, not even knowing anything about it. That's that's called the, the, the spiritual gift of discernment. But so be careful that you don't try to, you know, make it work. Let the Holy Spirit do the work through you. Amen. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to shut off here tonight and we'll pick back up with encouragement on next week.